Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we'll find out if our mango and passion fruit bars energized us or caused a power drain. And we'll have a preview and a review of not one, but two options for a DIY Oreo. And speaking of chocolate, I'll chat with Jennifer Earle, the founder of London's Chocolate Ecstasy Tours. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, we have put a call out to our listeners for recommendations and suggestions for all those dads and grads events that are coming up in the next couple of weeks. And last episode, you mentioned that your husband is probably going to request something with peanut butter. So I wanted to share a cookie recipe with you that caught my eye. Oh, I'm so excited. Was it the one that used the meat mallet on top? I do not see a meat mallet called for, but hey, you want to just do that anyway? Who am I to judge? Let's hear it. These are a peanut butter and chocolate thumbprint cookie from the Tesco Food Magazine. We've talked a lot about Waitrose's Food Magazine. Tesco, another huge grocery store in the UK. In fact, I think it might be the UK's largest grocery store. Has a great food magazine also, and I ran across these. Now, Andrea, I not only love the combo of peanut butter and chocolate, But I loved that this also had the option to use tahini. We like using our tahini for things other than hummus. We do, and we made some tahini ice cream. We made that amazing tahini ice cream. I don't remember what episode it was in, but it was bananas and tahini, and I think it only had maybe one or two other ingredients, and we couldn't believe how well it turned out. And it was so smooth. And I know if you are like me, listeners, you've got some tahini just kind of knocking around and you are hard pressed (laughs) to think of what happens beyond hummus. Try these cookies. Also great way if you have got a peanut allergy or cooking for someone with a peanut allergy, you can sub in this tahini, lots of the same texture, lots of the same really good healthy fats and similar flavor as well. But these look really yummy, Andrea, and I did think your husband might go for him. Oh, what a great idea. I think I will try that. He likes tahini. He's been a little hesitant on the combination of peanut butter and chocolate sometimes because he claims to not love chocolate. But I've noticed that he loves a Reese's. He absolutely raved about that peanut butter and chocolate pie we made from I remember. Kevin and yes. Amanda a couple of years ago. So I think he his, you know, I don't like chocolate is maybe not really true when it comes to peanut butter. Well, and or the peanut or tahini flavor might be the more dominant flavor in these cookies mm-hmm. anyway. They're just filled with a little bit of chocolate. So take a look. Yeah. And listeners, I will post that also in the show sheets for this episode, which is episode 126, if you want to give it a go as well. Stefan, this week I made something that I think is just perfect in our Made It Myself month, and it is called a sugar-free fig and nut ladu. Mm. It comes from a cookbook called The Cardamom Trail, and that's by Chetna McCann from the Great British Bake Off. Are you familiar with her? Yes. In fact, she was a huge family favorite. She remains my son's most favorite contestant of kind of all time. Yeah, he really enjoyed her bakes. 
Oh, I love it. Well, listeners, Jennifer, Gail, Andrea, and Janice all either recommended the cookbook or said that they were going to cook from it as well. Okay. And I picked this particular recipe because I had never heard of a ladoux before. Were you familiar with that? No. When you said the title, I was like, I know all of those words except ladoux. I love to say it, though. Ladoux. So Chetna says these little round sweets called ladu are served after dinner and during festivals in India. This delicious sugar-free version is a great healthy snack for kids and is easy and quick to make. So perfect. Those two sentences had all the hallmarks of a good recipe for me. (laughs) And then add on top of it, I had all of the ingredients in my pantry. Slam dunk. Yeah, so it's dried figs, rough chopped cashews, almonds, and pistachios, a pinch of ground cardamom, and some melted ghee. You, you know, soak the figs to hydrate them, blend them in a food processor to make your fig puree, and then combine that fig puree with all of the chopped nuts and the cardamom and the melted ghee, mix it well, roll it into little balls, and then just keep them out and pop them in your mouth when you need a little tasty treat. That sounds fabulous, and I'm going to need to try this one, Andrea, because I have a good quantity of fig left over from doing our life-changing crackers earlier this month, which I did the fig variation. It'll be perfect for that, and the reason I thought it was perfect for Made It Myself month is that when my daughter tried it, she said, Mom, this tastes just like a Fig Newton. Oh, perfect. Well, I love that you're getting a lot of really good healthy stuff there. It sounds like they were really easy to make. Yeah, they came together so quickly, and I actually had popped them into the fridge when I was done, but then... Another person where I had posted this had told me that the ghee might sort of congeal in the Mm, fridge and that they're better left out um, in an airtight container. So I just left them out on my counter in an airtight container and they disappeared pretty quickly at my house. Yum. Well, I know you will be keeping us posted on more recipes from that cookbook. Oh, yes. Anything with cardamom. And thanks again to listeners who have been so great recently about finding more recipes with cardamom for me. It's been a fun thing. And my local spice shop the other day said to me, are you doing something special? Because (laughs) I keep going in there. They'll take the pods and grind them for me. Yeah. I just love that. It's not the powder, but it's more almost like poppy seed, but even smaller. And I just love that texture and that flavor. Yeah. And also, you know, it's excellent and very fresh. Oh, yes. Well, speaking of grab and go, Andrea, let's hope that this week's Bake Along has the same success as your Ladoos. And it's another great British Bake Off contestant, as a matter of fact. We baked up Martha Collison's Mango and Passion Fruit Energy Bars. This was reprinted on the Waitrose Grocery Store website. And these were, I'm going to go ahead and say, kind of a glorified Rice Krispie treat, or here in the UK, we call a cookie like this or a bar like this a flapjack. We had some flaked almonds, desiccated coconut, rice pops or rice krispie cereal, oats, dried mango, brown sugar, clear honey, a passion fruit, and then a drizzle of a white chocolate and natural yogurt. I mentioned last episode I was going to make mine gluten-free and also vegan, so I just made sure that my oats were gluten-free. That's not true of all oats. You do want to check. And then I used Lyle's golden syrup in place of honey. So that hit both of those marks for me. Andrea, how did these passion fruit energy bars go for you? Uh, Taste-wise, these turned out really, really well. And I found the recipe very easy to make and put together. You start off by toasting the flaked almonds and the coconut, and you know, that's super easy. And then in a large mixing bowl, you add the rice pops, the oats, and the chopped mango. 
Now, one thing I had wished I had done, and you mentioned this last week, but at the last minute, I wasn't thinking about it. I used my old-fashioned oats, and you had said maybe I should have used the quick-cooking oats, and I think you're right, and Mm. the reason is when I went to slice and serve these, and as people were eating them, they were falling apart all over the place. Okay. And we've had that happen in previous recipes. I don't know if you remember, but back when we made those peanut butter chocolate oatmeal bars. Or I don't know if they had peanut butter, but they were definitely oatmeal and chocolate. And they specified the instant oatmeal and I didn't use it and they fell apart as I was eating them. So I think that instant oatmeal somehow provides more glue. Well, except I had exactly this texture issue. Oh, and you used the instant oats. I did. I did. So in fact, it's funny over here, I was thinking, oh, maybe I should have used the rougher (laughs) old fashioned oats. Maybe that would have helped. I'm going to come down and say that maybe more oats in general would have helped this consistency-wise. You know, the other thing that I was thinking, I used honey. I think you said you were going to use Lyle's to make yours vegan. So as I was eating them, what they most reminded me of is what you mentioned, a Rice Krispie treat. And I thought, you know, marshmallows really glue things together. So true. Honey is sticky, but it's not necessarily something that I think of as like adhering things together. And marshmallows, when they harden back up, I mean, honey does this to a certain extent also, but marshmallows get really concrete-like. Flavor-wise, this was great. I Again, I had all those dry ingredients, and then in a saucepan, I stirred together the sugar, the honey. I didn't end up finding that passion fruit pulp that I talked about that I was going to look for in my grocery freezer section. Okay. But I did use my passion fruit powder, and I didn't know how much to use because there's nothing on the container that says you know, one tablespoon equals one passion fruit. Yeah, right. I added in one tablespoon. I tasted it. I added in one more tablespoon and tasted it. This mixture was the most fantastic thing I've ever tasted. (laughs) So I really can't wait to use some more of that passion fruit powder. It is so vibrant. It's so concentrated. I mean, it's just this burst of passion fruit on your tongue. I can't wait to start mixing it into some other desserts. It's interesting that you had to use maybe a little more than you were expecting because I had the same issue with the fresh passion fruit. Oh. Fresh passion fruit is only called for one. And Andrea, after adding one, I just couldn't taste it. It still just tasted like the sugar to me that was in this recipe. And I ended up using three or four small passion fruit. And that's when I got that really vibrant tanginess that I love. And I agree with you. Flavor-wise, these were amazing. The one thing I did notice in the recipe is it tells you to place it in the fridge to set for at least an hour. Yep. After that was done, I pulled those out and I did do the drizzle, the white chocolate and the yogurt and and spooned it over the top. And I thought that was quite pretty. Yep. And, you know, who knows, maybe it helped it hold together a little bit. But it says to leave it to cool completely, slice into 24 pieces, and that you can store it in an airtight container. Yeah. But I found if we kept it out on the counter, it just, it literally started to fall apart. I had to keep it in the fridge. This is exactly what happened to me. In fact, I got to the point, I had taken a quantity to my potluck club and they were well received again on the flavor, but it was a mess to eat. It just was falling apart. And a vegan friend of mine did say that she's not had great success with Lyle's in baking as far as cohering and holding things together. But you're telling me exactly the same story with the honey. So I think this recipe just needed some more bulk. If that was some more Rice Krispies, if that was some more oats, something else to make this stick together. Hey, maybe some of your wheat germ. Always. (laughs) I'm just adding it to everything these days, as you know, so why not? (laughs) 
just add your wheat germ in. <laughs> no, you know, the other thing I thought of because this was so crumbly and I ended up at one point eating some of it with a spoon is I thought, yeah, it doesn't need to be made into bars. It could be more like granola bites and you could eat a bowl of cereal, you know, eat it just like a bowl of cereal. I think it'd be great either dry or even with some milk added in. I thought it was so pretty, Andrea, and you alluded to this mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. When you use the fresh passion fruit, of course, they have the black seeds and you have the kind of creaminess of the Rice Krispie treats and of the orange, light orange from the passion fruit pulp. So pretty. Again, that texture, I was experimenting with it when I brought some home. I was putting it in the freezer. I was putting it in the fridge for overnight. Nothing I could do would set it up. And I really like your idea about the marshmallow. You might have to back off on some of the other sugar. Oh, and in fact, important point, I did not end up adding that additional brown sugar because I thought mine was so sweet already. Oh, from your Lyles. From my Lyles, exactly. So if you do do that variation, just just taste it to your preference because I thought it was already really sweet. Didn't need that additional brown sugar there. I loved it for taste. I loved that it was so easy to make. It was gluten-free naturally. I love that it was so easy to make vegan. Texture-wise, it, it doesn't work as it's written, and so it needs some experimenting. We'll keep working on that one, but thank you for sharing it, Martha, and thank you, Waitrose, for publishing it. For our final bake in our Made It Myself month, we are making some homemade Oreo cookies recipe. I'm so excited <laughs> about this. <laughs> when we said we were going to do a Made It Myself, I think it's almost the first one we came up with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, I picked the recipe from Brave Tart and Stella Parks because I find that she has done a really good job taking pantry staples and creating make-it-yourself recipes. Okay. So that's the recipe I picked for our show. And shortly after I picked that recipe, we read At the Kitchen Table by Greg Atkinson for our April book club pick. And he had a recipe for what he called Foreos instead of Oreos. And so I looked at his recipe and kind of compared the two. Okay. Now, I'm still glad I stuck with the Brave Tart recipe, mainly because Greg's recipe had an ingredient that I'm not even sure I have seen, and that is he uses organic palm kernel oil in both the cookies and the filling. And I guess this is basically like an organic shortening. So, I mean, maybe I could have found it. Maybe I have it in my pantry. I don't, I, I've just not heard of that phrase or that ingredient called that out before. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and it's quite a bit, too. It's not like you could easily substitute that. It seems like an important thing that he's using there. Oh, yeah. No. In fact, he even says, don't be tempted to replace the palm kernel oil with cheaper, typical hydrogenated oil. So, and I I just went with Stella's Brave Tart recipe. Now, shortly after we posted Made It Myself, one of our listeners, Kitchen's Witch, over on Instagram said, oh my gosh, are you making TKOs? This caused quite a stir in my office. And I thought, what are TKOs? Have you heard of those, Stefan? Well, TKO is total knockout, right? So that is an adorable name. I haven't, though. Is it got to be some other other fake Oreo? It's another famous fake Oreo, and it is sounding like a total knockout. It comes from Thomas Keller okay. and the Bouchon Bakery cookbook. And so I'm guessing TKO stands for Thomas Keller Oreo. Oh, my gosh. Such yeah. good initials. Lots of choices out there. I wanted to share a little bit of my experience with making the Brave Tart recipe, if you're interested. I'm completely interested because, as you know, listeners, this is our fourth Monday, so we won't be doing a formal review. So it's always a treat when one of us actually gets to that fourth bake and can share a little bit more insight. 
Well, this is a preview and a review at the exactly. same time. So we love that. One thing that Stella says in the ingredients that she uses that she thinks really replicates that Oreo flavor, mm. although she lists it as optional, is a quarter teaspoon of coconut extract in the chocolate wafers. Oh, fascinating. I would never think coconut. I would never think that. And I was very excited because back when I did the Great Pantry Purge of November 2018, <laughs> the GPP, <laughs> I found coconut extract in my pantry. Yeah. I opened it up because I thought, well, I want to open it and see if it still smells strong. And it still even had the inner seal on it. So oh. I'm so curious about why I bought that and what I was going to use it for. And I didn't toss it because I thought, well, it's still sealed. I'll probably use it. And that was back in November. And here we are in May. Yeah. And I thought, now, now, finally, I have an excuse to use my coconut extract. That's fascinating. I don't remember making anything with coconut extract. Yeah. I, I don't know why I had it. Okay. Well, good that you did. I know. Very exciting. And the other thing that was in my pantry that I bought, I am not kidding, I want to say in two, three, maybe even four years ago, it's a homemade cookie oh. stamp and it has the words homemade oh. on it. I thought this is the perfect time because of, of course it's a circle yes. stamp. It has the words homemade. We're making homemade Oreos. So two finds in my pantry. I knew this recipe was meant to be for me. So it came together pretty quickly. Stella's recipes are always very detailed, but she gives you the reasons why you're yes. doing things. And so for me, I'm more than happy to follow her instructions. You first make a chocolate wafer dough for the cookie part, and that has butter, sugar. I used Lyle's golden syrup, some baking soda, a little bit of salt, and of course that uh, coconut extract I mentioned. Right. Some all-purpose flour, and then some Dutch processed cocoa powder. Now she recommended a brand called cacao berry extra brute <laughs> but sounds like such a mean cocoa <laughs> i used my very good valrona cocoa powder which is sort of a high-end yeah, yeah. cocoa powder and i think that was a, a good choice so of course you do some sifting and you know how much i love that <laughs> and then with the mixer running you go ahead and kind of make that wafer like you would do just a, a typical sort okay. of cookie dough refrigerate it so because this is a chocolate dough mixture instead of sprinkling flour on your rolling surface she has you sprinkle cocoa which makes a lot of sense that way you don't end up with you know the white floury flecks on your chocolate cookies you know, I have a chocolate cake recipe that has you grease and cocoa powder the pan for the same reason. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, yep. I've seen that. You mentioned last week that moist chocolate bundt cake you were thinking about making oh, for yeah. graduation. Yeah. That's one where you might want to do that. Good idea. Yes. Once you've got your dough rolled off and then you use your fun cookie stamp. I mean, she also says you can use one of those embossed rolling pins, but I don't have one of those. Okay. You go ahead and you stamp your dough into rounds and you bake those and that was quite easy. Your filling is a mixture of butter, vanilla extract, a tiny little bit of salt, and powdered sugar. Really easy. You melt the butter and you actually strain it through a sieve. Those are the kind of instructions that normally I would be like, I'm not doing this. Yeah. But she's told us that cooking the butter is what drives off the water in the butter and that helps keep the filling firm and stiff at room temperature so well I wonder if you could substitute ghee there because that's essentially what ghee is oh absolutely I think you could that's okay. a really good point okay yeah, yeah then you go ahead and you mix that melted butter with the vanilla and the salt and the powdered sugar until it's creamy and soft it takes about five minutes and then you fill it into a pastry bag and pipe it onto your cookies 
and then sandwich them together. Andrea, I have to say, we are constantly sending each other pictures of our bakes for the show or other things we're eating or other things we're baking. And I had a squeal of delight when this picture (laughs) hit my phone. They were adorable. First of all, the homemade stamp, so perfect. I need and want one myself. But second, they, of course, immediately, I was like, it's an Oreo. They were so identifiable. Yeah. So charming. And did they taste as good as they look? They really did. I'm looking here at my notes that I make. I think you're the one I notice make notes on recipe notes about when you served it and what you know, your husband or your kids say, yep. I've started doing that as well. And I use the heart system. So my husband, I put three hearts <laughs> yes. myself. I put three hearts and sadly my daughter ate half of one. So of course I knew that was immediately a sign. I said, Oh, what's up? And she said, it's too chocolatey and it's not sweet enough. And I thought that's perfect for a child not to like that. And for an adult to like it. Right. Isn't that the ongoing Oreo controversy? Like, are you the cookie or the cream? Yeah, exactly. Type of person, right? So Mm -hmm. if you just go straight for that filling, number one, then maybe, oh, that's so interesting though. And again, you know, if she's thinking we had this discussion when we were talking about our Pop-Tarts, if you're in your mind saying this is going to taste exactly like the packaged version, then, you know, you're probably going to find something there that's not the same to your liking. But they sound delicious, sophisticated, so cute. I think sophisticated for sure. I gave a few to a coworker of my husband's and she sent me a really nice text. Let me know what she thought and specifically how they compared to regular Oreos. Right. She said, I think your cookies had more chocolate flavor. They were a bit less crisp and the filling was less gelatinous. And then, you know, I was sort of reading that and sort of taking that in. She sent a clarifying text saying, just so you know, I mean these all as good things. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I am so thankful for that preview review. And that's one I'm definitely going to have to get to. Yeah, I packaged the rest up in some little coffee bags because then that way they show through the kind of that clear window in the front, the brown paper coffee coffee bags with the clear window. And I packaged them standing on their sides and I gave them away. And overall, I got rave reviews back from everyone that I gave them to. People thought they were really cute. And like you said, instantly recognizable. I love it. Well, remember, we will have a link to these recipes in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 126. That was the mango and passion fruit pro protein bars from Martha Collison at Waitrose, as well as the homemade Oreos from Brave Tart Stella Parks in the show sheets for this episode, which is episode 126. So we'll have that on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as our Facebook group. Stefan, of course, you know, when I visited you in London a couple of months ago, I booked a Mayfair chocolate ecstasy tour on one of the days that you were busy. I know I was off playing tennis and burning calories, I guess. Don't worry, I was definitely consuming enough calories for the both of us. (laughs) Fortunately, I was able to connect with Jennifer Earle. She is the founder of the Chocolate Ecstasy Tours, and I was able to interview her after my tour. Oh, this is so exciting, and she is a bona fide chocolate expert. And a lovely person to boot. Jennifer started the Chocolate Ecstasy Tours back in 2005, and I first asked her about how she selected the shops that we visited. It seemed like such a perfect combination of old and new, and it incorporated a great walk through Mayfair. It will actually, the tour, that, even the tour that you do, sometimes we change the route around. So we do sometimes oh, go okay. to 
different places um, depending mm-hmm. on either the day, like you said, because sometimes some shops are too busy on certain days or they don't have the staff that they want in there. Uh, sure. <laughs> but, well, part of it is the the businesses that I've been working with like since the beginning or near the beginning are the ones that I really want to keep supporting because they've like just been so great to me over the years. And then it's also about a selection that works well for pacing the tour. So there's walking in between and also a variety. So making sure that like you're actually trying different styles of chocolate, not just like they're all the same. Right. Now it had that good blend too of, you know, the chocolate supplier that provided the queen with her chocolate and has been around forever versus, you know, the one that started maybe in the 80s or the 90s and is more of an upstart. So that was a good blend as well. Oh my gosh, Andrea, the queen's favorite chocolate. Tell me more. It sounds like you got the inside scoop. Oh yeah, that was our first stop at Charbonnel et Walker, which has been in the chocolate business since 1875. That's a baby years in London, too. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, for you guys. We got to see the Royal Warrant, and we tasted both the Violet and the Rose Truffles, mm. and those are both said to be the Queen's favorites. Okay, so what did you think? Well, unfortunately, Violet and Rose aren't two of my favorite scents, uh. so I was already a bit predisposed not to like them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could tell that they were very high quality, and they were very good. They just maybe weren't for me. Well, that makes sense. Since smell is so intimately tied to taste, I can see how it would be hard to separate the two. But I know you must have had something there that you did like. Oh yeah, have no fear. Uh, Sea salt caramel truffles, pink champagne truffles, and the fine bitter mints all made their way into my shopping bag. Well done, you. Those sound like very modern choices as well. So did Jennifer talk about how our chocolate tastes have changed over time? She did. She had some really interesting comments about the London chocolate scene. That's part of why I love the London chocolate scene compared to perhaps Brussels or Paris is that I feel like we have more freedom in in terms of interpretation of styles. So even British-based chocolatiers tend to incorporate styles from other countries or what would typically be other countries. So the most British chocolate are the ones you would have tried that supply the the Queen's favourites, which are the fondant chocolate, so it's a sugar paste um, flavoured usually with flour or fruit and then covered in dark, usually dark chocolate but sometimes milk chocolate. So those yes, are very yes. like, traditionally British. We don't have many chocolatiers like primarily selling those anymore. I'm a fan of anyone who knows the ins and outs of the London chocolate scene. I know. And even better, Jennifer knows the worldwide chocolate scene. She travels the globe visiting cocoa plantations to build her high level of chocolate expertise, and she likes meeting and supporting the farmers who are actually growing the cocoa. Let's listen to what that's like. So uh, one of the places I really, I do have on my list to visit still is either Ghana or the Cote d'Ivoire, where most of the cocoa that we consume in the world is grown. Mm -hmm. I think that's quite a different uh, scenario from what I've seen in other countries. So I've been to Madagascar and Indonesia and where else have I been? Uh, Guatemala, (laughs) Belize, um, and to uh, Vietnam. And the Vietnam trip was particularly interesting because I went with a chocolate makers who make chocolate in Vietnam okay. and then they source all their beans from Vietnam and at the time they were selling yeah. 
at least two days a week actually driving down to the farms or up to the farms, they have a variety, and then meeting with the farmers. And there they were very much sort of smallhold farmers, but it was it was a reasonable source of income for them. So there was not it was not like poverty like it can be for a lot of cocoa farmers. Excellent. And we saw them cutting the pods from the trees. Like we walked around their farms with them where they're also growing up other plants. So that made it more sustainable for them and a much better environmental effect as well. And then we saw them, their fermentation centers and their drying, which is so actually really small. Mm-hmm. And then they're drying, which was basically tables. It's, so it's real. And then all the sacks of cocoa that they had ready to try and sell. And the guys that I went with, they would reach down deep into the bag, take a handful out and cut them open. So they were looking to make sure there was no pests that had gone inside oh, okay. or that making sure they were fully dry. And then they would taste them. And it was really interesting to me to see that they actually rejected some of the bags based not on any flaws but just that they didn't taste the same as they did the last time they bought them. Oh, so just looking for that consistency. Yeah. And it's hard to get that when you're talking about a fruit that, right. depending on the rainfall or the sun amount of sun it receives, it could be quite different year to year. This was fascinating to hear of all the places she has visited. And I have to admit, Andrea, when I think of Vietnam in particular, chocolate is not one of the first things that comes to my mind. So I love that Jennifer is really steeped in all the stages of the process, from the growing to the harvesting to the selling. I agree. And it really made me realize, while I spend a lot of time eating chocolate, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about how it's grown or who grows it. So it was so interesting to hear her perspective. Well, speaking of eating chocolate, did Jennifer have any advice for our listeners about purchasing chocolate for home baking? She did indeed. I asked her when we should splurge and when we should just stick with the grocery store staples. With regards to chocolate first, I would say if you are not cooking the chocolate, so if you if it is for a mousse or a tart, um, so the filling part of the mm-hmm. or a ganache. So if you're or the like the frosting, if you're making a cake and then putting a layer of like delicious chocolate fudgy cream, right, with maybe just a little bit of heavy cream with it. Yes, then those places you want to buy the best chocolate you can afford. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I guess it depends on who you're sharing it with. <laughs> that is an important factor. I hadn't thought of. Yes. Well, I, you know, there some people just like don't really notice right. the difference. Sadly, but um. But yeah, so for those things, I would definitely buy the most expensive chocolate that you can afford because that's where it's super obvious. And even then, if it comes to something you're baking, so if it's a cookie or a brownie and there's a lot of chocolate in the recipe, which is more painful, I know, because then it makes it even more expensive. Mm -hmm. For those things, you will also tell the difference. Okay. For those ones, you could probably go a step down and maybe get like the most expensive that your supermarket has. But I definitely wouldn't be buying the kind of confectionery style chocolate for those ones. You'd want something that really did have at least a 60% cocoa content. Okay. And a lot of the ones that sort of I grew up as considering fancy chocolate don't have that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. If you're like, if it's just a small ingredient as part of a recipe, then probably much less important. Okay. Then with regards to cocoa powder, I, I tend to think that something like the really expensive stuff is best if you are actually just making a cup of cocoa or um, mm-hmm. maybe making truffles or dusting cocoa over the top of the mm-hmm. cake. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. then if, if you're coating chocolate truffles in cocoa or putting it 
just shaking it over a cake, then the some of the cheap cocoa is really quite bitter and will totally spoil the first thing that hits your tongue. I mean, this all makes so much sense. If you're not cooking the chocolate, go with the best you can afford, especially when it comes to cocoa and the possibility of bitterness. Stefan, you'll be happy to know that Jennifer's grocery store staple chocolate is the organic green and black brand you used back in episode 115 when we made those salted chocolate rye cookies. Oh yes, those turned out so well for me. And green and blacks is a brand I'm consistently purchasing now. And it sounds like I'm in good company. Also, listeners, please keep Jennifer's advice in mind when you're making the homemade Oreos we talk about in today's episode. That recipe has you sprinkling the cookies with cocoa powder instead of flour before rolling, and so it is a good time to consider using the more expensive brand so you won't have a bitter taste be your first impression. That's really smart. And does Jennifer like to bake at home like we do? Oh, yes. She actually used to bake quite a lot, and then she moved house, and now she's caught up in renovations, it sounds like. So she's on a bit of a baking hiatus at home. But she did have some great recommendations for cookbooks for our listeners. There are a couple of um, recipes that I would bake quite a lot. So um, the hummingbird, which is um, basically like the UK's version of Magnolia Bakery, Oh yes, I went there. Yeah, the cupcake place. Yeah, they do. They have a recipe which is available online for their um, quadruple chocolate cookies, which has a huge amount of chocolate in it. Um, and then it suggests it only makes six cookies, which must be the oh size of in a plate because um, yeah, you can definitely make them into smaller cookies and then get more out of it. But wow. that was the recipe I used to make a lot. And also um, we have a company which is a supermarket widely available company called Goo and the head chef there has been there right since the beginning. He's a good friend of mine. And so he wrote their cookery book. I think they may have two now, but the original one, all of the recipes in that are brilliant. And then um, I'm also friends with Ed Kimber who won the first series of the Great British Baking Show. The boy who bakes. Yes, we love him. We did his chocolate pistachio babka buns a couple of weeks ago. Oh, they were so good. I would wonder if it was his buns that you were making. Yeah, his, his. I think I've actually had him that made by him, <laughs> which is, yeah, pretty amazing. But all of his recipes are also really fantastic. And he gets chocolate and is mm-hmm. very passionate about it too. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those, oh. those, those are some of my go-tos if I want to be sure that they're going to work and taste properly chocolatey. And especially when you are buying premium ingredients, I think that's so important. You don't want to spend a lot of money on this really high quality, very special chocolate and then use it in a recipe that might not work out. So I, that's, yes. you know, making sure that your source recipes when you're using good chocolate is uh, tested and true, I think is very important. So I'm glad you reminded us of that. Listeners have no fear. We'll include a link to those Hummingbird Bakery quadruple chocolate cookie recipe, as well as the Goo Cookery book that Jennifer recommends in our show notes this week. This is episode 126. And if you missed our salted chocolate pistachio buns from Ed Kimber, go check out episode 117 or our bonus episode that we recorded live from (laughs) Stefan's Kitchen. Still one of my faves. And Andrea, I'm willing to put our babka buns right alongside Ed Kimber's. They were that good. Yeah, that was one of our favorite recipes. 
Well, Stefan, you know we always ask our guests that final question about their desert island dessert, that one dessert they would select if they could only choose one for the rest of their lives. And I'm guessing Jennifer picked a chocolate one. Well, yes, after an initial protest at being forced to pick just one. (laughs) Our kind of gal. She had some great ideas as well as some tips on what to do with expired chocolate. That's just cruel. Um, <laughs> like, what kind of life is that if I can only have one dessert? I simply choose not to live. <laughs> yeah. Oh, truly. Um, so, I if it's if it's for a chocolate dessert, then a really good chocolate mm-hmm. cake. And I'm really, really fussy about chocolate cake. So um, mm, I, I, I tend are. not to order it because generally I find them disappointing. The one in the Goo Cookbook is very, very good. Okay. Um, if you make it with really good chocolate, particularly. Um, and actually, right. that's mm-hmm. a good point. If you ever, I doubt this happens to other people, it's just because of what I do. But if you ever end up with chocolate that has expired, um, so like it's past its best before date and or has gone white, which is the cocoa butter coming to the surface, the bloom, it, but it won't taste as good. So, but it will be totally fine for baking. So that's a good use. I'm so glad you told me that because one of the aspects of your tour was that we, I think in most of the stores, got a slight discount as part of the tour on our purchases after our tasting. And so, of course, I used that as justification to buy (laughs) multiple things in each store. And I did come home and uh, as I started going through things, I thought, (laughs) oh, I might have overbought a bit here. So that's a great idea. Can I? You're right. I could just uh, melt some things down or turn it into a ganache or something. That yeah, definitely. And it will really refresh it. I, it's quite extraordinary. So you put it in a hot mm-hmm. chocolate, and it yeah. will taste so much better than it did if you just nibble a piece off. Uh, yeah, we'll bake yeah. with a ganache any of that. Uh, so yeah, it would be a really good chocolate cake. But if I could have a non-chocolatey one as well, then probably an apple or a blackberry and apple pie. Oh, okay. Apple and blackberry pie. I don't think about apple being mixed with other fruit. That's interesting. Uh, Might have to try that. I'm not a huge apple pie fan just because I'm odd, but I love pie and I love blackberry. So maybe if I mix the two together, I might discover a new love for it. Yeah, I'm also really fussy about pie as well as, <laughs> as I would be as my two favorite like desserts. But the um, like the apple pie that, that I like, there's not really ever any sugar added to either the crust or the or the apples. So you just have the natural sweetness of the apples. Um, and then because a lot of times I find apple pies are just yeah too achingly sweet. Yeah, too sweet or it's kind of mealy. Sometimes I find that. And I know um, Stefan discovered the Bramley apple when she moved to London. And I think her relationship with apple pie changed after that. (laughs) Oh, that's so interesting. My ongoing love affair with the Bramley apple. You know, it warms my heart to know that even a chocolate expert still loves pie. It sounds like Jennifer is truly a preheater at heart. And it's so interesting to me that she does not add sugar to her pie, especially with blackberries and Bramley apples, as you guys know, are so tart. They are mouth-puckeringly tart. So I'm going to have to experiment and see if I can swing that with no sugar. Yeah, she definitely mixes in other apples. It's it's not the primary one, but okay. I am also curious to try that no sugar and see how that turns out. Listeners, if you're interested in learning more about Jennifer's tours, please check out her website, which is chocolateextasytours.com. Or you can follow her on Instagram at jennifer.earl. Jennifer, thank you so much for your time and your willingness to educate all of the preheaters. 
Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the icing onto this episode. We release new shows every Monday morning, and next week, we're heading out to the cornfields. That's right. We're gearing up for a completely corny month. And before you say, hey, isn't that every month? What we mean is a month that's off the cob, popping with amazing delights, like a sweet snacking popcorn, a vintage cake, and yes, even ice cream. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.